Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Amen. Today we're continuing the series that we've been studying entitled Insufficient Funds. Anybody enjoyed this series so far? Of course, we've been kind of joking about the fact that most of us have experienced that moment where we tried to withdraw some money from the ATM and we got to notice that that money ain't in there. Or we, got an, we noticed on our bank statement that we had an extra fee, an NSF fee, because a bill was paid that we didn't have the money to pay for. And we mentioned that actually, for some people, that moment would actually encapsulate what their financial life looks like. That really, when, when they look at their financial lives, they, they notice that they just don't have enough money to do everything that they need to do. The fact of the matter is that most people struggle to make ends meet. School loans, medical bills, mortgages, car notes, etc. Et uh, cause people to really get to a place where they are stressed out and it causes great problems in their marriages. I ran across a stat this week, stat this week that said something like 50% of all divorces are a result of financial tension in the home. Uh, having financial problems uh, greatly decreases the quality of our lives. And that's not God's will. God's will is that you never run out of funds. God's will is that you actually be financially healthy. And so what we've been doing is showing you what the Bible says about money management so that you can get to that place. You can get to that place where your financial life is, is stable, where God's prospering you, and God can actually use you to be a blessing to somebody else. And so last week, well, first of all, the first week we learned that when you take care of God's house, he takes care of yours. So we talked about putting God first in our finances by giving the time. And then last week, we talked about some things that we need to stop doing so that God can indeed do in our financial lives what he wants to do in our lives. It is hard to get out of a hole while you're continuing to dig the hole. So we learned that you need to stop not tithing, that you need to stop not working, that you need to stop not budgeting. Those amens are getting less and less. You need to stop not saving. You need to stop spending more than you make. You need to stop accumulating debt. And I really could add some things to that today. I want to say a few more things about some of those areas. And one of them is just about budgeting. You know, uh, Really, where you are right now financially is a result of the decisions that you made to this point. And one of those decisions may be that you haven't budgeted. And budgeting is extremely important. Having a written budget every month is uh, your money goal. I mean, it may be the most important move in becoming financially free. And, you know, it's... You wouldn't build a house, of course, without a blueprint, right? You're not just going to say, we're going to build a house and just go outside and just grab some wood and throw it together. You're going to have a plan first. And the same thing should be true when it comes to your finances. Why would you spend your lifetime income of probably around $2 million, that's the average person, without actually having a plan to spend it? You wouldn't do that. You know, and married couples really need to work together on a budget. 
It really needs to get to a place where you agree on it. Because if you don't, then it's going to be very hard to win. It's going to be very hard to have success. And so, you know, what happens if one person's doing the budget and the other person's not involved, and then one person is just constantly nagging them, trying to get them to do what needs to be done. And how many know that nagging doesn't work in a marriage? And thank you for those two or three amens. And so it's so important for a husband and wife to work together in, with their, in their budget uh, from the beginning, understanding that every little dollar adds up. And that the choice you have to make is whether you want those dollars growing in your savings account or you want them growing on your credit card statements. Another thing we, I want to talk about a little bit more is, of course, we talked a bit about credit cards and the fact that you probably need to go ahead and cut those things up right now. For some people, that's the word of the Lord. Heaven is just opened and spoken. God put his head down and said, I'm talking about you. And, and I ran across something else that was really interesting. You know, the number two cause of bankruptcy in our country is credit card debt. You would think other things, right? And number one is health insurance, health bills, medical bills, I should say, which is why having health insurance is so important. You would think it'd be the mortgage, it'd be the car. It's the credit cards that are really tearing people up. I can see y'all loving this message already. That's all right. I'm going to give it anyway. And then we talked about maybe not buying new cars. Mm. I'm going to run out of the back when I get done today. You know, staying away from car payments by driving reliable used cars is what the average millionaire does. The average millionaire drives a two-year-old car with no payment. I like something that Dave Ramsey said. I'm going to use a lot of his stuff today. He has a great book called Total Money Makeover, and I encourage you to read it. And one of the things he says is that taking on a car payment is one of the dumbest things people do to destroy their chances of building wealth. It steals more money from their income than virtually anything else. He said, if you insist on driving new cars with payments your whole life, you will literally blow a life's fortune on them. For example, a, 28, a new $28,000 car will lose about $17,000 of value in the first four years you own it. That's almost $100 per week in lost value. So to understand that, once a week when you're driving to work, open your window and throw out a $100 bill. You see, there's a problem with that. If you were to take a $495 per month payment, put it in a cookie, cookie jar just for 10 months, you'd have $5,000 to buy a car cash. And if you invested that $495 just from the time you were 25 to the time you were 65 uh, and you just had, you know, just a regular increase of about 12%, you'd find that you'd have almost $6 million at the age 65 just off of car payments. So I hope you like your car because <laughs> it may be costing you your wealth. And leasing is actually worse because the interest rate is about 14%. On leasing. So just a few thoughts to add on to what I said last week. And if I haven't lost you already, let's dive into some new things. So Proverbs 22. Anybody interested in learning this stuff? Yes, sir. I know this is a bit more of a practical message, and today is really going to be practical. But we got to talk about these things. You know, God, and in fact, there's a scripture that I'll look at in a minute, but uh, in fact, I'll just jump ahead to it. And it's Proverbs 21, 31. And it says that the horse is prepared 
against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. And the idea there is simply that there is a man, there's our side to things, and there's God's side to things. And the way God works is when you do your part, that's when he can come in and do his part, right? So as I was thinking about this last night, I ended up kind of applying that principle to what we're talking about and ended up writing that the budget is prepared for the family, but living debt-free is of the Lord. See that? You, You manage your money, God prospers what you're doing. You know, you take care of what's in your hands, and God will take care of the rest. Paul used the phrase a number of times. He said, we are workers together with God. It's not just that God does things. We work together with him. It's kind of like a a father who says to his son, listen, you raise $2,000 by the time you turn 16. And if you raise $2,000 by the time you're 16, you know, whether through getting a job and doing, you know, cutting grass, whatever you do, then I will give you $8,000 on top of that to help you buy a car. And people, some of us, we've had that experience. You put the work in, get these two, this 2,000, son. You prove to me you know what you're doing, and I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll give you another eight. And you have a new car on your 16th birthday. That's kind of how things work with God. You go ahead and do your 2,000. You do what it takes to properly manage the money I have already put in your hands, and then watch me do something supernatural with your finances. So we're going to talk about making sure that we are doing our part today. And I really want to focus on something that is extremely harmful to our financial lives. It's something called debt. So, Proverbs 22. I'm I'm taking these amens. I'm putting them in my back pocket. I'm hanging on to them. Because I may not get that many. But Proverbs 22 and verse 7 says this. Uh, Okay. The rich rule over the poor... And the borrower is slave to the lender. A couple things about this jumped out at me as I was studying it. Of course, when the Bible talks about the rich ruling over the poor, that word rule means to have power over, to reign over, to be a governor over. And he's telling us what are, these are just basic facts of life. This is not something we don't already know. The rich run things. But then right on top, right along with that, he says, and the borrower is servant to the lender. One of the things that I did in my Bible was I literally drew an arrow from uh, poor to borrower and from rich to lender. Because typically it's the rich that are lending and it's the poor that are borrowing. But what we miss sometimes is the reason why the poor are the poor is because they're borrowing. And the reason why the rich are the rich is because they're lending, not borrowing. See, debt is not good. Now, I know many of us have been taught differently. I have a business degree. I still remember sitting in class and the teacher pulling out, you know, getting on the board and proving that debt was good and you should leverage your debt and you can do more with debt and, and all of that. And even then, and I was in my mid-20s when I finally, because I went to, get, went, went to ministry school first and then I got my bachelor's. And I remember thinking then, okay, but what happens if you can't make a payment? What happens if you can't pay the debt? And let's be frank, it happens more than we want to acknowledge. It just does. And so there is the risk of living life on credit. The risks that come with that are less than the risks that come with just living debt-free. 
It's just better to live debt free. Notice once again, he says the borrower is slave to the lender. That word slave is really strong. When you think of a slave, you think of someone that's in the field working and there's someone standing over them beating them with a whip so they work harder. And God doesn't want anybody to be a slave to any man. But when you are in debt, that is you in the field. You just did it by choice. We joked about it last week. You go to work saying, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. A slave does not get the full benefit of their work, if any. Some of what they're doing is actually going to pay for somebody else's lifestyle. And you got to think about it. How many people are living on a beach in a beach house right now uh, using the money you pay in interest? See, debt doesn't make you wealthy. It makes the banks wealthy. It makes other people wealthy. It is not a tool that will help you. It is a tool that will hurt you. And yet it's so ingrained in our culture that people can't think about a house without a mortgage, a car without a car note, getting an education without a school loan. We can't think about credit without getting a credit card. And that has to change if you're going to allow God to prosper you. Because that is not God's system. It just isn't. It just isn't. In fact, if you were to go back into the history of the United States, it was not our system. All that changed, I guess, about 70 years ago now. That was not our system. But everything changed, and and now you have a lot more people in debt and struggling and suffering because of it. When surveyed, 75% of the Forbes 400, that's rich people, said the best way to build wealth is to become and stay debt-free. This is what rich people say. The best way to build wealth is to stay debt-free. And if you think about it, your largest, uh, your your best wealth-building asset is your income. That's your, that's your wealth-building asset. So when you tie up your income in, in interest payments, when you tie it up in paying off debt, you're actually losing your wealth-building asset. Whereas when you invest your income, your wealth can grow and you can do whatever you want to do. See, God's will is not that you be the borrower. God's will is that you be debt-free, that you be the lender. God doesn't want you willingly putting yourself in debt. He wants you getting out of debt with his help. And that's part of what I want to talk about what I want to talk about today. I want to help you. I want to show you how to get out of debt because some of you are hearing this. You're saying, yeah, pastor, I agree with that. Yep, that's good. Yeah, you're preaching, but there ain't no way I can get out of debt. You know, I hear you. That sounds great, but that's a pipe dream. I can never get to that place. And I want you to know that you can get out of debt. You can get out of debt. You can live debt-free. People who are just like you, who are in a position you are in, have done it. And if they've done it, you can do it. And if you're somebody that's following God, you've got God's help too. And God can get you out quicker than you ever would have gotten out on your own. But you've got to make a decision that I will never borrow another day in my life. Ooh. 
Turn to neighbor if you can say it. You might struggle with it. Tell him, I'll never borrow another day in my life. You might be saying, I don't know if I can say that. That's all right. We're working on it. We're working on it. But, you know, you're not going to get out of debt if you're you're open to continuing to get in debt. I saw this video. Most of y'all probably probably have seen this uh, online. It was some woman at at the airport, and it looked like it was McNamara uh, Terminal here in Detroit, honestly. And you know how at the airport they have these walking, what are you, escalators? And a moving escalator? And so you're supposed to, you know, go the direction that it's going. But there was some woman... She had a couple bags. She wasn't paying attention. I don't know what she was doing. She's on the escalator or whatever it is, moving escalator, whatever. Moving sidewalk. Thank you. That's right. Okay, if it isn't, I'm just going to act like it's right. She's going the wrong way. So she's just moving along and she's just grabbing her bag and she just, and she's not making any progress, but she doesn't realize it. She's almost like, what's wrong with this thing? And it's because you're going the wrong way. Somebody videoed her and threw her on the internet, and now she's viral. And that's what happens when you say, God, I want to be out of debt. God, I want to be financially free, but you keep getting more debt. Some of us going into debt just to buy Christmas gifts. That doesn't make any sense. If you can't pay cash for it, you can't afford it. Sometimes you just got to send people a picture of you smiling. Merry Christmas. Next year, I'll get you something else. I got to get out of debt right now. Debt is a financially harmful substance. And this time, some of us go to debt rehab. Get set free of this thing. So let me give you three things today that's going to help you to get out of debt. Because we're declaring war on debt today. One, two, three, four. I declare a debt war. Number one, know what you owe. Know what you owe. Proverbs 27, 23 is a scripture that we base this entire series on. It says, know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. Now, we mentioned this last week that, of course, during the time that this was written, most people were either farmers or shepherds. And this is clearly referring to shepherds in particular and, of course, their flocks, you know, their, their sheep, uh, what, that's really was their money. That's how they got food. That's how they, they had something to drink. That's how they had clothing. That's how they paid bills. And so if we were to look at this and apply it to our financial world today, it would simply, be, it would simply say, know the state of your financial life. Know the state of your money. Know uh, the, the, where you are right now financially. And then you'd add on top of that, well, look well to your hurts. The idea there is do what it takes to be financially healthy. Because see, if I know the state of my flocks, I'm looking to make sure everybody is doing well. And then whatever, whatever one of my sheep isn't doing well, I'm going to make adjustments so they're healthy. Right? Because this is my money. And God's saying the same thing to us. We ought to know where we are financially. And then ultimately, we got to do what it takes to be healthy. Jesus said this. He said, is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? 
And he's, he's saying, he's actually talking about salvation, but he uses what he considers to be a common sense example. Everybody knows this. You, you got to sit down and, and count the cost, figure out how much you have, figure out how much, it, how much you need and before you go forward and, and do anything. And so the same thing is true here. You need to know what you owe, which means that you need to take the time to sit down and write out every one of your debts. Every one. It might be painful. But I, I encourage you to do it today. Write out every debt. Write out the interest rate for that debt. Write out the length of your loan and the amount that you owe overall and then your payments. So I'm going to say that again. I'm sure we've got it in our notes on you version, but for those that aren't, that aren't looking at it that way, write out your debts, their interest rates, the length of your loan, the amount, and your payments. This is part of counting the cost of building your financial tower, right? So the first thing you need to do is know what you owe. Now, I want to say this before I go too far. We mentioned last week budgeting is really important, and if you don't budget going forward, this is not going to help you. If you don't have a budget and you don't stick with your budget, then you're you're going to accidentally spend more than you owe and still continue to go backwards. You'll be walking backwards on the moving sidewalk. So you do need to budget, as we talked about. And I mentioned a great app last week. I don't, I'm not big on recommending stuff. Ain't nobody paying me to advertise this. But I use the Every Dollar app. And it's, it's a great tool because it helps you to keep track of, it helps you to budget to, to determine what I want to spend. And it helps you keep track of what you're spending. Okay. But having said that, once you understand that, I just want to make sure I covered that so we got that right. You got to know what you owe. Number two. Begin a debt snowball. Snowball is quite relevant right now in Michigan in December. Begin a debt snowball. And here's a great story just showing you how God thinks about money. In John chapter 6, there's a story of Jesus feeding 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with five loaves and two fishes. Anybody ever heard that story? I mean, it's in John chapter 6. You can read it all later today if you'd like to. I'm not going to read the entire story. But the bottom line is that, you know, Jesus has been preaching. Thousands have come to hear him because they've seen the miracles that he's been doing. And, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously he's been preaching a while. It's lunchtime. Jesus says, feed the people. And his disciples say, well, you know, we don't have enough money to do that. If we had 200 penny worth of bread, we couldn't feed all these people. But one of them realized they're talking to a miracle worker. And they said, well, there is somebody that has five loaves and two fishes. But how, what good is that going to do? And Jesus has them bring it to him. He touches it, he he thanks God for it, and then he distributes it to his disciples, and and then they turn around, and and they probably thought he was crazy. You know, we got five loaves and two fishes, there's 5,000 men, not counting women and children, we're going to give it to the people in the front row, and then what, Jesus? But they turn around, and they distribute it to those individuals, and what happens is God multiplies it right there on the spot. And by the time they get done distributing, 5,000 men, not counting women and children, have not only eaten They've eaten until they are filled. They are satisfied. They've eaten until there are leftovers. So this great miracle has happened. And so we pick up at verse 11. And if he, indeed it says, Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, 
and distributed them, just distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted, and everyone was full. Notice this. Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that, get this, nothing is wasted. There's the goal. This is God's goal. Nothing wasted. A minister that I respect said this. He said, if you waste not, you'll want not. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. So this is, this is understand what he's requiring them to do. This room, even if we filled it to the rafters, seats about 1,700 people. Now, multiply that by three, and maybe you got 5,000 people almost. Now, multiply that by three more, because if you have 5,000 men, you got 5,000 women and children, at least. Probably 10,000, I should say. They're all outside, sitting in grass. Everybody's eating and then whatever they're not finishing, they're just putting it down. And now Jesus 12, tells 12 guys, I want you to go out there and gather up all the fragments. That might take half a day. It's like, you know, almost like, you know, a busboy when you go to a restaurant and when you're done, they come in and they're cleaning the table. But imagine doing that for probably 10 to 15,000 people. This is going to take some work. This is going to be kind of tedious. And yet it's something he required because God is not into waste. He is not interested in losing anything. He's not interested in losing opportunity because what comes of this is by the time they get done gathering all of this stuff, they end up with 12 baskets full of loaves and fishes, 12 baskets. Sometimes your treasures are in your fragments. Sometimes you just start paying attention to a little bit here and a little bit there and you start bringing things together, you'll find out you have a lot more than you thought. You know, my wife and I first got married early on. What she used to do with, with, was that I would, you know, when I would have some change, I'd just put it by uh, on my side of the bed, you know, and I would just kind of pay no attention to it. And she would always come and grab my change. And I'm like, well, why are you doing that? I mean, there's nothing. There's like five cents, or, you know, 25 cents is nothing special. But she'd take it and she'd put this in this jar. And I'm like, I'm laughing at her. Like, that's not going to do nothing. You're going to get like $2 out of that. So after a while, you know, we went to the grocery store. And uh, I remember because we, we were living in Phoenix at the time. And she, so she brought her a jar, you know, and they had one of those machines where you could dump it in there. And so she dumped it in there and, and, and it's showing us the money. And, and after a while, I think it was like $50. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, oh, hey, give me some of that. She was like, uh-uh. You've been talking about me this whole time, you know. And I, I saw something. Man, your treasures are in your fragments. This stuff adds up. It adds up. And so this goal, this, this approach that Jesus took, this attention to detail actually brought uh, uh, abundance, if you want to use that word. And it, it brought harvest. It actually maximized what God had done. God had done a miracle. But they made, they made sure that they, 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 they got everything out of that miracle. And some of us today, God did a miracle giving you the job you have. 
God did a miracle bringing you the money that you have right now. But God wants you to maximize what he has given you. So that means you may need to start where you are today with your five cents on the side of the bed and, and start gathering what we like to call a debt snowball. Now, you say, what is that? You, most people have heard of this term before, but I'm going to walk through it with us. Um, I will say, first of all, that one of the things you'd like to do is try to get at least $1,000 together and just put it in a savings account because that is your rainy day fund. And we don't believe God for rainy days, but we know that they come. The Bible talks about that. The man that built his house on a rock. And he's the one when the storms come, his house stands. The one that builds his house on the sand, the same storm comes and he ends up, ends up without a house. So you want to put some money in savings. Maybe it's a thousand, maybe it's three to six months savings. Whatever you're comfortable with so that that's taken care of. I don't have to touch that. Unless I need it. But if I need it, I got it. Then after that, you're going to do this. We talked about listing your debts, right? So now you're going to list your debts in order. You're going to write the smallest payoff or the smallest balance first. Some people say, no, I need to go to the highest interest rate. No, no. Go to the smallest payoff. Now, you have two that are close together in, in, in number, then you can go with the higher interest rate. But you want to list your smallest payoff first and then, then list your debts from smallest to largest with your home being at the bottom. Then every dollar you can find anywhere in your budget, every, every little loaf of fish, a bread, a little piece of fish, every little bit you can come up with you want to take that and apply that to that smallest loan. So if it's just $50 a month, or maybe it's $100 a month, or maybe, you know, and part of what's going to get you there is something else we're going to talk about in a minute. But, but you want to apply whatever you can get your hands on to that loan and pay that loan off. All right? Uh, when you have extra money come in, you know, God will bring you unexpected income. People will show up and say, man, God just told me to give me $20 or, you know, you know, who knows, who knows how money comes in instead of taking that and immediately just running out and buying something. Pay your tithe, honor God with it, but take that money and apply it to that debt. Because what will happen is if you keep knocking out that lowest debt, eventually it's going to be knocked out. Now all of a sudden your expenses have gone down. But then once you've done that, then you're going to take what you used to pay on that debt and the piece of money that you were using to pay it off, you're going to combine it and you're going to put it on the next highest debt. And you're going to go after that until you pay that off. When you're done with that, you're going to take that piece of money, what you used to pay with the one first debt, what you used to pay with the second debt, you're going to take that and apply it to the next highest debt. And so that's why it's called a snowball. Because if you're on a hill, right, you can take a little snow and you can start rolling down the hill. And as long as if you keep pushing it, it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it knocks out whoever's sitting down at the end of the hill. And that's what you want. You want to take whatever debt you have now, knock that out so you have a little bit of a snowball. Take that money and with a piece of money, knock out the next one. The snowball's bigger. Take that with those two payments, 
knock out the next payment so the snowball's bigger till you get to the place where the only debt you have left is your house. And once you start talking about your house, well, then we might do a few things, but before we pay off the house, now you really do want to set aside three to six months' savings. Not, you know, but once you've done that, now you can go after your house note and you can become debt-free. And every time you pay off a debt, have a celebration. Have a party. Maybe you want to put it on your refrigerator. Here's my debts. And you pay it off, get a red pen. Whack, you are dead. You know, do, do what you got to do. Now, don't have an expensive party and pick up another debt. But, you know, you got to celebrate your wins. It helps you to stay encouraged. To see, I had this and I knocked this out. I'm going somewhere. It helps you to be motivated to continue to do, to continue to do the same thing. But you need to have a debt snowball. Every time you wipe, wipe something out, or and, and, and there's something else you can do, I should say it this way. When you walk past the refrigerator and you see that list of debts, you can start declaring, I'm debt-free by faith. The Bible says that faith calls those things which be not as though they were. And so even one of the things you can do is just start talking yourself into being debt-free. But of course, the talking won't help if you don't do what we're talking about. All right. And then number three. You notice, though, that being debt-free isn't really contingent on a certain amount of income. The answer isn't always, I need more money. It just might be that I need to cut back on what I'm spending. I need to have a budget, cut back on some things, and then start knocking out my lowest debt. You can do that today. And you're saying, I don't even have a piece of money. Ask God to give it to you. See, the way God works, once again, is if you're willing to put some effort forward, you're going to raise the 2000 he'll give you the eight. You put some effort forward, money will start showing up. Because God will honor that because you're trying to do things his way. But when the money shows up, don't go running a cheesecake factory. <laughs> the Lord has blessed me. Come on now, then you got you, you to gotta be, see, if you're willing to do this stuff for a season, you know, if you're willing to do what other people aren't willing to do now, you can live like they can't live later. You just need to go through this season where I am just going to cut back on some of the things that I want to do. I'm going to delay my gratification. And that's something that millionaires have learned to do. They've learned how to not get it now. I may want it now, but I'm going to wait so that when I get it, I can get it without a payment. I can really enjoy it. Come on, the sun comes up every day when you don't have any debt. The birds sing. You be walking through the house, you can't sing, but you be singing anyway. You skipping. Grown man skipping through the house. There's something about being free of financial trouble that's just it's hard to replace, hard to, hard to imitate. It's worth it. It's worth it. All right, number three. I'm glad y'all were laughing. Sell what you can. See, one way you, will get, you may get that piece of money just might be to sell some things in your house that just don't need, you just don't need right now. Let me read this scripture to you and I'm going to tell you a story. 2 Kings 4.2, she says, what can I do to help you? This is about a woman whose husband died, left her in such debt that her sons were about to be taken to, as slaves. So she went to the man of God, you know, which was her way of going to God. What do I, what can I, you know, I need help here. And so the, the man of God, Elisha, says, well, what can I do to help you? And then he asked, 
Tell me, what do you have in the house? What do you have? And it wasn't just him talking. It was God talking through him. We can know that by what ended up happening. God got her out of debt. Gave her enough to live off of it for her and her sons to live off of it from here on out. But she's going to God for answers. And God is saying, let's use what you got. What do you have in the house? And her answer was, well, nothing at all. Except, most people did it. Well, I, look, I ain't got nothing. I can't do nothing. But there's always an except. Except a little, a little flask of oil. All I got is a little oil. And if you know the story, God ended up using that oil to get her debt free. See, sometimes your debt snowball won't roll because you just don't have that extra money. And so this, you, that's where you might want to look at what can I sell? Now, years ago, I was pastoring in Atlanta. I shared a pastor there for almost 10 years. And so we had, you know, just like most churches that are established, we had a benevolence fund. When people got into financial trouble, you know, there were certain things required of them, but the church would help them out in certain cases. And we had this one woman who came who wanted to uh, the church to help her out with some bills. And so she sat down with one of our ministers, and, and she was explaining the situation to our minister. And the minister asked, okay, what do you have in the house? And she kind of got upset. And, you know, so they start talking about it. And it turns out she had this expensive painting on her wall. So the minister was like, well, there you go. Just sell the painting and there you can take care of everything. And she was furious. So after a service, she came down to talk to me after some pastor. I want the church to pay my bill for this, that, and the other. And, and, and your, pre- your minister said that I need to sell my painting. And I said, well, you know, how much is it worth? She said, so-and-so, how much do you owe? Well, I owe this. Well, there it is. Sell the pain. And she was mad, and I don't think I ever saw her again. She wanted, to, she wanted to take the money the church had for people who were really in trouble. You know, like we would have people like, we had one guy who was uh, one of our ushers. His house burned down. Well, we're going to step in and help him. You can't say, what do you have in the house when the house is ashes? See what I'm saying? That funds are to help people that really need help and you want to keep your painting and then take the church's money to pay a bill. I mean, there's something wrong with that. You'd be surprised what's in the house. And now we're in a day and age where it's easy to sell things. Whether it's eBay, Facebook, Marketplace, you name it, there are, things, there are ways to get rid of some of what you have and take that little piece of money. Because you might look at that and say, I only made $100 from this. But that $100 toward a $500 debt. We're working on something now. You might need to sell what you can. Now, another way to get that extra piece of money may be to work some extra hours for a while. And this is what some people do. You know, just for a season, they say, hey, we're trying to get out of debt. We're declaring war on debt. We want to get out now. Because you really do have to get after it hard. You got to be intense about it. So somebody gets a second job for a year. Somebody works an extra five hours a week, 10 hours a week, just to add, get a little extra money just so I can get rid of these debts. Because if I do this now, then I will never have to do it again. If I do this now, then I'll be out of debt and I can set my kids up so they can go to college without a loan. Maybe I can buy them their first house. Just if I just right now get after it. So you may need to sell what you can. All right, number four. 
Last thing. Believe for supernatural debt cancellation. Believe for supernatural debt cancellation. In Matthew 9, 29, there were some blind men that came to Jesus. They wanted him to heal them because they knew he had healing power. And verse 29 is very interesting because it says, Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. In other words, what determines whether or not you're healed isn't the fact that I have power. What determines whether or not you're healed is whether or not you have faith. I love what the message translation says there. It says, he touched their eyes and said, become what you believe. You believe, you become what you believe. Yesterday, I, I, I caught myself getting ready to iron something in my house. I'm not too good at that. It seems like everybody in my house knows this because I started to pull out the ironing board, and my 12-year-old looked at me. She said, what you doing? She's like, I'm about to iron their church, so you want me to do it for you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, baby. That's why I got three daughters. I love having three daughters. There's certain things I don't ever have to worry about, and they don't have to worry about the house burning down because of daddy. So... Uh, but, you know, the thing about iron is that it doesn't work unless it's plugged in. Now, all the power you ever need is in, that, is in, in the wall, let's just say it that way. But until you take a cord and plug it in, that iron will not warm up. And you will walk around with some wrinkly clothes. And that's how the world is. God's power is there. If you're a tither and a giver, all the power you need to get you out of debt is already available to you. It's just up here instead of on the wall. It's up but the cord that gets the power from heaven into your financial life is faith. And if you don't believe, and what is faith? It's 100% heart confidence. I'm, I'm, I'm making up a term because I think people need to get an understanding of this. It's 100% heart confidence in God and in what God said. I say heart confidence because some people say, well, I believe. I'm not talking about believing with your head. That's mental assent. Faith is of the heart. But if you will take the time to put God's promises into your heart, faith will spring up. You'll know that this thing is like fire in me. I believe something that doesn't even make sense because faith doesn't make sense. It just, it makes faith. You know what I'm saying? It's, It's a different animal. But if you will get to a place where you believe, you can tap into the power of God and the power of God can make you debt free. And we just looked at one story earlier in 2 Kings 4. That woman was about to lose her sons because of debt. And God moved and she was able to pay off the debt and live off the rest. There's another story in 2 Kings 8 of a woman who had lost everything she had because she went away during a time of famine. Came back and her house had been stolen. Her, her land had been taken. But she cried out to the king believing God. God gave her everything that she had lost. We looked at a story earlier, uh, maybe a week or two ago, about a man who had an axe head that fell in the water. And he screamed because he had borrowed it. And the man of God took a stick and threw it on the water. And the axe head floated. And all of a sudden, he didn't have debt anymore. We can go on and on, on. There are stories after stories where God does the supernatural to get people out of financial debt. Many of us have stories like that ourselves. I shared a story a couple of weeks ago just about how God had me give $10,000, my wife and I, to a ministry, to a couple ministers. And, you know, it's not like that's not a lot of money. It was a lot of money to us then. It's a lot of money to us now. 
And the nat- in my, my mind said it was crazy. And so that's why I said no at first. But eventually, you know, we said we're going to obey God. Gave that $10,000 and, you know, waited for a miracle to happen and nothing happened at first. But eventually I got a phone call. Man, God, this guy calls me. You know, he's a, he's a God-made millionaire. God's prospered his business. Hey, I, I just I feel led to pay off your cars. That don't just happen. That's not coincidence. If it is coincidence, can we all have those coincidences, please? It's the kind of stuff that, that many of you have those kind of stories. God will get involved in getting you out of debt, particularly when you're doing your part. You know, when you're when you on the moving, when, when you're doing it by yourself and you're just walking through the airport, you, you, you're going somewhere. But when you let God get involved by believing for him to do it, y'all, now you're stepping on the moving sidewalk and God can get you there quicker. So you need to believe God for supernatural debt cancellation. And, and you'll see God is an expert at it. His power can get you out of debt. His power can make you financially healthy. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience Podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.